This is Pennsylvania Legacies, the podcast series from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. I'm Josh Rollerson. Well, the mention of bike trails tends to evoke certain connotations. A lazy summer day, a leisurely cruise along a riverbank, maybe through a forest or up a mountain, a journey from nowhere in particular to nowhere in particular. Well, that's how many of us are accustomed to thinking about bike trails. You tend to see that reflected in federal policy. If uh, someone loads their kids into the car and drives them to soccer practice, that's transportation as far as the Federal Highway Administration is concerned. If a kid rides his bike to soccer practice because he's able to, because he uses bike paths, that's considered recreation. And it's just a difference in the terminology that we use for it. That's an important distinction when it comes to building infrastructure for multimodal transport. And it's one of the challenges trail builders face, reframing bike trails as transportation corridors for urban, suburban, and rural communities alike. So when I say transportation corridors, that means there's the connectedness in our communities that we have the option to do these things. So, you know, if the family gets on their bikes to ride to breakfast somewhere and then they go their separate ways, that's transportation. That's not recreation. They might be recreating. We're hoping they're smiling while they do it. But it means a different thing, and I think that is where we're going. We go beyond spandex with PEC's program manager for Trails and Recreation, Frank McGuire. That's coming up. First, a look at some of this week's environmental news headlines. Governor Tom Wolf and PennDOT announced $33 million in new federal funding for bike and pedestrian infrastructure projects across the state this week. Philadelphia brought in some of the largest grants, including $985,000 to expand its bike share system and another million for a new trail section and related improvements on the East Coast Greenway in the city. Philly also got some help with its plan to add 27 miles of protected bike lanes to streets, while suburban communities won funding for a variety of trail expansion and improvement projects. In Pittsburgh, PennDOT will distribute a half million dollars to make the Homewood neighborhood more walkable. In all, 51 projects in 32 counties are being funded. The governor says the projects will contribute to stronger economies and better infrastructure statewide. On the run-up to budget season, the governor's indicating he may take another run at passing a severance tax on shale gas production in Pennsylvania. He told reporters on Tuesday details are being finalized on a severance tax proposal to be included in his 2017-2018 budget, which will be unveiled next month. It would be the administration's second attempt to impose a severance tax after his proposed 6.5% tax failed last year. Wolf says this time around the amount of the tax could be tied to gas prices. He adds a new source of revenues for schools could help reassure residents of suburban southeastern Pennsylvania who've been increasingly wary of pipeline construction through the area. The governor's budget address is scheduled for February 7th. January is National Radon Action Month, and Pennsylvania environmental officials are urging residents to get their homes tested. The Department of Environmental Protection estimates 40 percent of the state's homes have radon levels above the EPA action level. The naturally occurring radioactive gas has been found in all 67 counties. It's the second leading cause of lung cancer in the U.S., killing an estimated 21,000 people each year. DEP has information on home testing, including a list of state-certified radon service providers on its website. Well, the votes are in, the ballots are counted, and Pennsylvania has a new River of the Year. The Department of Conservation and Natural Resources on Monday announced that the Allegheny River beat out the Brandywine, Loyal Hannah, and Perkiomen Creeks for 2017 bragging rights. The honor also comes with a $10,000 leadership grant for the Penn Soil Resource Conservation and Development Council, which put forward the winning application on the Allegheny's behalf. 
Finalists were nominated and voted upon by members of the public in November and December. The River of the Year program is a partnership between DCNR and the Pennsylvania Organization for Waterways and Rivers, or POWER, which is an affiliate organization of PEC. DCNR Secretary Cindy Adams-Dunn says the Allegheny is rich in scenic beauty and historical significance and deserves to be recognized as one of the region's natural treasures. The river had no comment. We're starting off the year by checking in with each of PEC's major program areas to find out what's on the horizon for 2017. Last week, we got a preview of Governor Wolf's plan to control methane emissions from the natural gas industry. This week, we focus on trails. Frank McGuire runs PEC's Trails and Recreation program. He recently sat down with PEC President and CEO David Woodwell to look at the year ahead. I want to get right into the heart of it. Why trails? Why why does PEC do trails? Well, PEC does trails because trails are what, in many ways, the citizens of the Commonwealth connect to the outdoors. How they get out into nature, how they understand why these places are important, uh, it's a way to both walk back in time and to see where we're going in the future. So what kind of trail work? We don't actually build trails. No, no, we don't. We don't. Uh, and you know, we like to say we, we add something extra special to the mix. We're able to bring in a a, from a 30,000-foot view of what could be, how to connect places, how to help people on the ground actually do make those connections. I mean, so many trail projects start as a local dream. They know what's in front of them. There's there's a used to be a rail line in there. There's a, a, some woods that they want to explore. Um, but that only gets you so far. And it's great. Uh, but there's in every community, there's that conversation. And what we do is really bring those conversations together to make them that much better. And people think a lot about trails being these pastoral, rural settings, wilderness or whatever. Is it? There's more. Well, there's truth to that. But it, in many ways, trails can be what you want them to be. Uh, trails are a healthcare system in many ways. It's a way to get people outside and actually exercise uh, to t- turn off what goes on in the modern world every day. Uh, but they can also be economic development. Uh, trails are one of those things that you can't pick up and move. They are where they are, and they, and every time you do that, there's a way to tell a story with those trails. So, you know, trails can be contemplative. They can be spiritual. They can also be exercise. You can be hardcore about it. You can go out and do nothing but look at your heart rate monitor. And really, the big thing about trails is that they are what you want them to be. And... So as you're looking at this around the Commonwealth, PEC's involved with sort of three major efforts and a bunch of other smaller ones. But Well, someday all those efforts will be one big effort. Yes. Uh, and that's really one of the things about trails uh, and the work that we do is we're able to take that view of how is it that we're going to reconnect ourselves. You know, the Commonwealth at one point was uh, completely crisscrossed by all sorts of transportation networks. Um, and we look at it in the same way. We want to connect these places. So we work in the Northeast in the, with the Northeast Trails Forum up in the Poconos region. It's a 10-county region. Uh, going down the eastern seaboard, we get to with the uh, we move into Philadelphia, coming down the Delaware and Lehigh Heritage Corridor to connect into the circuit, which is a massive 700-mile uh, network of trails. Uh, that's connecting up all these major trunk lines. They view that very much as a transportation network. 
Uh, but in western Pennsylvania, we have the Industrial Heartlands Trails Coalition, where in 48 counties, including western Ohio or eastern Ohio, West Virginia, and uh, Chautauqua County, New York, uh, connecting up all these destinations. So as those projects evolve, you know, it's, it's local groups doing a lot of things on the ground, groups like uh, Allegheny Valley Land Trust in Armstrong County. Ron Steffi is doing great work in Armstrong County. That's the Erie to Pittsburgh Trail Corridor, and along that way, they go into lots of different communities. The communities are, are all rallying around this uh, to see how far these things can connect getting from Erie to Pittsburgh, so and that's just one of the examples. So it's not all about spandex. Not at all. Um, yeah, in, in many ways, we would like to have less people wearing spandex. Yes. One of the big things about it is that, you know, trails sometimes in the political realm get viewed as, oh, this is just superfluous. It's going to be something that, you know, caters to a very small crowd, that half a percent of people that are bike enthusiasts. But really, it's, you know, it's there for everyone. And one of the things that we see with any trail is letting people in the local communities put their own story into it. How is it that they connect to it? What does it mean to them? Is this a way for grandparents to hang out with their grandchildren? Is it a way that it, we're creating green space in places there isn't green spaces? In many ways, these are linear parks. Um, we want to make sure that they're, uh, all the potentials can be reached through them. So everything, you know, we talk about sustainability, we talk about economy, environment, society, the economic side of this, mm-hmm. does anybody have a sense that there is an econ- a positive economic impact from putting trails in? Absolutely. Um, one of the things about it is that trails, there's can be a big price tag up front. At least that's what people see, perceive because they see, you know, it costs $500,000 to get a mile of trail or maybe less. Um, you know, that's on the high end. But one of the things is that there's return on those investments that come back. So we see in communities like uh, town like Franklin, Pennsylvania, uh, where there's businesses that come up about it, and those businesses employ local people. And so they not only do they get the dollars from people coming in that are riding their bikes into that community or, or jogging or whatever it is that they're using, but you're also employing local people, and those jobs aren't going to go any away. You collect tax dollars on it, it's year after year, those things keep coming up. So there's some upfront costs in it, but over time, what we see in terms of dollars returning to communities is very large. So this evolution of trails from sort of being paths through the woods toward toward these bigger interconnected networks has been, you know, I get the, I've always had the sense that tr- most trails start with a local volunteer group that look at somewhere they right. want to get to get out and recreate, and that we've done 20 or 30 years of that, and that's still happening and still needs to happen, but that now there's enough of a critical mass that they're starting to butt up against each other in a good way and right. start to connect. Correct, correct. But one of the things that comes about because of that is if you're starting from opposite ends, your enthusiasm wears out as you go on because it does take it's many years of a heavy lift. You know, your life's changed for that passionate volunteer that's committed to doing these projects. And suddenly when they get to that point of, you know, it's a tunnel that's going to require uh, $250,000 of engineering and probably $8 million of construction, you know, for somebody who's doing this in their spare time, a few hours a week, that's not their regular job, that's very difficult for them to do. It doesn't mean that they don't want to do it. That doesn't mean that they wouldn't like to learn how to do it. 
But a lot of times the role that we play at PEC is to come in as the experts and say, okay, here's how other places have done it. We provide the case studies. We provide the technical assistance. We make the connections with the various funding, the engineering, whatever it may be, whatever the, pro- the solutions to their problems might be. That's that's the role we play is to, to connect those places. So what are a couple of examples? So uh, a good one would be the Climax Tunnel on the Red Bank Trail. Uh, this is a old railroad tunnel. It's a spring arch tunnel. Uh, really cool construction where it was all brick, and the bricks were placed in such a way that they actual the tension of them is what holds up the mountain above it. Um, that is once that tunnel is connected, uh, you know, completed, I should say. Um, that will open up the opportunity to do over 40 miles of of trail. And it's just this one spot that you can't get around. It has to go through there. That's where the railroad went. Uh, One of the great things about Pennsylvania geography is that we are very hilly. We're very, uh, the the hills stand out and they're dramatic. Uh, The only flat spates are often right next to rivers. So we get these beautiful landscapes we can move through, but it makes trail building difficult. Um, another opportunity that's coming up is along uh, the Pittsburgh to Harrisburg Mainline Canalway in Blairsville. They're in the process of building a $2 million bridge over Route 22. Uh, this will connect up the town of Blairsville to several trails. Um, it makes it, it's one of those things that it'll be a dramatic thing. A lot of people will say, well, there's the road, they can cross the road, but that's not safe. Uh, and, you know, safe is one of those words we don't like to use because it's hard to define, but you can always say what's not safe. And that one isn't. Getting across eight lanes of traffic isn't easy. Probably not. And that's, I mean, that's an issue in other places across the Commonwealth as well. I mean, if you're looking at the circuit and issues they've got going in Philadelphia, uh, as well as even areas up around Erie where right now nobody's really thought too far about what you do with an off-road separated Correct. multi-use trail. One of the things that happens often, and this gets back to your, it's not just about spandex, is, you know, if you're a 30-something dude who's out on his road bike, you can figure out how to get through. You're much safer in traffic. It's a completely different story when you're talking about families, when you're talking about people that might just be returning to the outdoors. We're... What trails do is lower the bar to entry. It makes it possible that the greater number of people can use this. So you're not just catering to that one constituency that might be the loudest, but what you're actually doing is creating these public benefits. All right. So we've been talking about land trails. Correct. There are water trails as well. And you are managing the statewide water trail program in partnership with the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission, and Natural National Park Service. Correct. So what's Pennsylvania got on the water? Pennsylvania has over 2,000 miles of designated water trails. And one of the things about what makes a water trail versus just the creek that you might float down is water trails are defined pathways so that you know where you can put in at one spot, take out at another spot. You know that the water is going to be most of the year. Now, obviously, we've got quite a bit of fluctuation in this state depending on drought and all that. uh, but that the water's the most consistent. It should be relatively free of man-made obstacles. Uh, but, you know, it's a natural environment. It's a dynamic system. It's always going to be changing. But that's part of the thrill of being out on the water. So, you know, we have 27 designated water trails across the state, everything from the entire length of the, the uh, Susquehanna to sections of a, a river like the Lehigh Gorge. Um, 
to uh, Yellow Breaches Creek, just south of Harrisburg, which is one of the most popular ones. And it's actually it's an interesting case where um, it's it's a victim of its own popularity. And by managing it as a water trail, we're trying to man- make sure that people understand how they are engaging with the environment. And Yellow Breaches is great fly fishing too. But yeah. Uh, yeah, as all this happens, there are dozens or hundreds of groups and individuals doing all this. Do they get the support and do they have the capacity to make all this work? I mean, you talked about volunteers before and they're, you know, a lot of these groups I look at and in many ways they look like they're aging too. I mean, it's it's sort of bringing in the next, what's the sustainability for these trail groups and how we approach all this stuff? Well, I mean, that is one of the biggest things facing us is the idea of graying out of these, uh, of the groups, the volunteer situations, can you do the heavy lift for these projects? Because we're talking about, when we get back to land trails, you're talking about projects that have a 20-year-plus timeline. Um, so it's difficult that the standard in most groups is to rely on retirees. Uh, I don't think that it's such a good idea to continue to do that. At the same time, it's that passion that they bring to the table that gets things done. So we work a lot with the groups to help them uh, professionalize in as much as they want to, uh, understand what resources they can tap into to make sure that they're leaving behind a legacy. They're creating the institutional knowledge. So uh, on the again, on the land-based trails, we have a tool called gototrails.com. It's basically a collaborative planning tool that is available to anyone who wants to work on land trails. Uh, one of the big things about that is that it provides a central clearinghouse for information. Uh, we're able to then you know, turn that over and take a look at it in different ways. It is a GIS-based tool, but it's based on a website, so um, you can access it anywhere you've got Wi-Fi. So, the diff- so if on a, I remember on a Sunday morning at one point on the Three Rivers Heritage Trail uh, on the north side of Pittsburgh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people using the trail. Mm. And looking at it and wondering how many people actually knew that there was a trail group that had to manage this and how many actually were thinking that there was something akin to PennDOT that yeah. managed this. And so how do you, you know, if people are listening to this and they're like, I, I didn't realize that, that my government's not doing this, that in most of these cases, I mean, in some cases it is municipalities and others, but in most cases there's a volunteer group that needs support, physical, monetary, whatever. How do folks get involved? Well, that's that is a good question, and one might even argue that it's kind of a good thing that people don't realize that you know what goes into it because it might scare them off. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we want these groups to actually realize like what what it is that's going on in their in their backyard, who the group is. So it they can do it through looking at different websites. They the trail names themselves. If there's a consistency in the brand of the trails. Uh, you know, they can then go back and reach out to those groups. Um, but we do, you know, we want to spread the message. I think one of the things that we noticed, and I, I don't want to, to slight our friends of the National Park Service too much, but, you know, if you have an opportunity to ride the, the CNO Canal, it's a very different experience than a lot of other trails. And the one of the things about it is that there isn't that local passionate group that is maintaining it and making sure that it's meeting the different needs. They have a 150-mile plan for what that trail is going to look like, and they manage it more for the historical aspects of it being a canal way than they do actually what it is used for for most people, which is weekend recreation. So, so all right, so this evolution that's going on, where's it going to take us? What's the future of this 
uh, you know, trail. And you at one point you had a great acronym for it, and I can't remember what it was for the separated multi-use trail that we made up some acronym, but forget that for now. Where, where what's this look like in the future? The MUPS. The it was the MUPS. Multi-use pet. Off-road paths, I think. Yeah. Yes. So, what's the, what's this look like in the future? These connections. Well, you know, I think that's a. There isn't really an answer for what it definitely will look like, but I think that we're we're developing is alternative transportation systems. Um, and one of the things when we use the word transportation, and this is something that gets us into trouble with the the federal government, they look at if you if uh, someone loads their kids into the car and drives them to soccer practice, that's transportation as far as the Federal Highway Administration is concerned. If a kid rides his bike to soccer practice because he's able to, because he uses bike paths, that's considered recreation. And it's just a difference in the terminology that we use for it. So when I say transportation quarters, that means there's the connectedness in our communities that we have the option to do these things. And as it builds out, as we start to connect more places, as we start to realize the vitality of doing these things, um, then we're able to, uh, you know, change our mindset about what what it means to do these things. So, you know, if it's the family gets on their bikes to ride to breakfast somewhere and then they go their separate ways, that's transportation. That's not recreation. They might be recreating. We're hoping they're smiling while they do it, but it's not, you know, it it's, means a different thing. And I think that is where we're going, is that the connectedness of our communities is going to continue to expand. And you know, make it a more viable communities, more vibrant communities. So, so why do you do this stuff? Because I like it. With the um, work or the activity? <laughs> all of the above. Um, I'm one of those people that I got involved very early on because, uh, you know, I at one point somebody told me I shouldn't be doing it, and I'm of the mindset, well, why not? Uh, you know, I the thing that I. Why I, what I keep coming back to is I, I've got a son. He can ride his bike to school. We live in it. We chose to live where we live because he can do that, because my wife can ride to work. Um, and that is what I see as being valuable to our communities. It's the type of lifestyle I want to lead. So this is why I do it. And, you know, every time I have a conversation with somebody who's fired up and excited about their trail, it gives me all the more motivation to keep doing it. All right. So what's your biggest goal for 2017? Uh, besides weight loss? Yeah, yes, uh, which so, involves cycling, so that's all right. You know, one of the things that uh, I want to see happen with our work at PEC this year is that, you know, we have been talking about projects in a good way. We've been bringing a lot of attention to projects over the past couple of years, and now it's time to actually uh, – We've identified a lot of gaps and things. We've identified a lot of p potential opportunities and to really drill down and close those gaps. And so we can then step, take the step back and say, see, this is, this is possible. Uh, I think that's going to be you know, changing a little bit of the dynamic of how the resources are allocated, how you know, the, providing the focus that we know will help make these projects happen. I think that's that's my goal for 2017. So that goes across the board, whether it's uh, some of our work in the Poconos, whether it's identifying new work in the circuit, uh, and particularly here in the Industrial Heartland Trails Coalition, giving a leg up to those partners that we have on the ground doing work so we can actually move this project forward. And those gaps, some of those gaps you talked about are relatively small projects with outsized impact. Correct. Uh, you know, that's that's one of the things is that we've got places where there may be 
uh, 40 miles. You know, it's a huge project and it seems daunting. And other places where it is a quarter mile of trail, but it might be the heaviest lift. And it's one of those things that just by bringing more people to the table and, and uh, you know, really drilling down to what is needed to do that. We might be as simple, something as simple as uh, purchasing, you know, a few dozen acres of land that is available for sale, uh, but to create a trailhead and actually create this this terminus and this community asset that people don't realize is right out their door. All right. And so looking forward to a lot more impact in 2017 and, and really building on these visions that are going all over the state and actually reaching beyond the state, um, beyond the Commonwealth, which is fun. So PEC's now we're actually working in, I think, six states on this stuff. So it's a ball. And Frank, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for all the work. And we're looking forward to it. Thank you very much. David Woodwell in conversation with Peck Trails and Recreation Program Manager Frank McGuire. You can learn more about Peck's work on trails as part of the Industrial Heartland Trails Coalition and through other partnerships, both within Pennsylvania and across state lines, at gototrails.com. Lots more on all of Peck's programs and projects is at our website. You'll find it at peckpa.org. And that's our show for this week. Pennsylvania Legacies is a production of the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>